Psalm number one. Uh, we've come to a conclusion. We, we wrapped up the last time I was with us in, in the book of First Peter. Um, and, and so for the summer, we're going to take a, a summer and go through some of the Psalms. There are 150, and so we're, we're not going to go through the entire book of Psalms. Uh, perhaps we'll come back in, in the future and maybe cover some others. Uh, but over the next few weeks, we're going to be just walking through some of the Psalms. And this morning, we're in Psalm number one. Let's read it together. Blessed is the man who walks not according to the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As I said, we're going to be going through the book of Psalms. And so I just want to take a minute and kind of introduce the book of Psalms to you and just give you some background information on this uh, uh, as we're just walking through these, the, the book of Psalms, as probably most of you know, is the longest book in the Bible, 150 Psalms. Uh, the chapter 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's a compilation of, of individual psalms written by many different authors. There's, they're not just one single author. Uh, David wrote many of the psalms, but, but there are multiple authors. And, and in fact, the book of Psalms is a, a collection of psalms that were written over a period of as much as a thousand years. Uh, so, so from first to last, it's a, a very, uh, spans a, a long period of time. The psalms are so clearly and, and beautifully state. So much biblical truth that as you begin to study theology, and for those of you that, uh, that went through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology with us on Sunday nights, or if you, you read any systematic theology, one of the things that you'll find is that the Psalms are quoted over and over again because there's so much deep biblical truth there. Uh, the Psalms are, are the most quoted, it's the most quoted, quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. While the Psalms, though, are, are rich and deep and full of all kinds of arguments and, and biblical truth stated clearly, at the same time, we need to recognize that the Psalms are poetry. Uh, the Psalms are songs that were sung. This is the songbook of, of Israel. These are the things that they would sing when they gathered together as a congregation to worship God. This was their songbook. And so the Psalms are, are poetic. And, and as such, the, the Psalms don't just speak to our mind and to our intellect. They, they're intended to speak to our heart and to our emotions. All of this combined, the, the deep, rich biblical truth combined with the fact that they speak to our heart and our emotions, it's the longest book, so, so much about it. All of this combined is one of the reasons that many Christians and, and most spiritual giants in the church have made the Psalms a regular, everyday thing. If you look at most Bible reading programs, oftentimes you'll have a, a passage from the Old Testament, a passage from the New Testament, and a passage from the Psalms, many people, many Christians, if you read biographies, what you'll find is that many great Christians have actually used the Psalms as their prayer book. So they will read through a Psalm and then pray back to God the words that are stated there. 
And that's very helpful. I would commend that to you. I make that a regular practice myself. There are various kinds of psalms. So, so they're not monolithic. They're not just one kind. Some psalms, as we're going to look at this morning, is kind of a wisdom psalm. It, it's instruction. It describes uh, and, and gives us instruction about the way that we live. Some are classified as royal psalms. Some are lament psalms when things are, are going wrong and, and the psalmist will cry out and, and pray to God, how long is it going to be this way? How long is it until you're going to answer and hear me? And, and there's lament, there's imprecatory psalms, praying against the enemies of God. There are thanksgiving psalms, praising God and thanking Him for what He's done. There, there are pilgrimage psalms, psalms that were, were used as part of their worship as they would go into uh, make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. There are enthronement songs. There are various kinds and different, uh, different commentators will, will categorize them differently. But there, there are all kinds of different psalms. It's, the, as I mentioned, the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. The psalms contains the most, most of the direct prophecies from the Old Testament about the Messiah. And so many times as you're reading and, and there's prophecies quoted in the New Testament about Jesus, many of them come from the Psalms. And, and as we look at the way that Jesus read the Psalms, and as he, he instructed and taught his disciples about how to read the Psalms, they, they always pointed to Jesus. Jesus would take Psalms and just simply apply them to themselves and say, This is fulfilled today by me. I, I'm doing this. And so the Psalms, I think, are meant to point us to Jesus Christ. So what do I want for this series? As we go maybe eight or nine weeks through some of these Psalms, what is it that I want? And, and I've got a few goals that I want us. Uh, to hopefully accomplish. First of all, I just want you to become familiar with some of the most, one of the most important books in the Bible. As I've said and tried to make the case, it is an important book, and I want you to be familiar with it. So, secondly, and kind of along with that, I just want to convey to you some of the deep, rich truths found throughout the Psalms. There are much that if we simply read the New Testament and we neglect the Old Testament, if we neglect the Psalms, there is much that we will miss. Thirdly, I want to see and kind of illustrate for you how I read and interpret and then apply the Psalms to myself and to you so that it might be of use to you. Sometimes what I find, and I've, I've talked to people before and say, I've read the Psalms and it's just difficult for me to know how does that apply to me. And so as we're walking through week by week, I want you to hopefully catch the way that I'm interpreting these Psalms and applying them. And perhaps that will be helpful to you. The fourth thing, I want to help you be able to see Christ in the Psalms. I do think the Psalms point us forward to the Messiah, to the son of David who sits on the throne of David and rules in his place. And, and I think many of the Psalms point to him. I want you to be able to see Christ in the Psalms. The fifth and final thing that I want out of this series is for you to learn how to connect your heart and your emotions to the Psalms. You see, we all feel, we all get depressed we all get discouraged. We all have times when we're thankful for what God has done. Uh, we all have various emotions. And the Psalms, what they do for us, if we, if we read it along with them and we plug into them, they, they help give expression to those emotions. Sometimes we're angry. And, and things are a mess in our lives and we don't know how to respond. What is the right way? What is the faithful way to respond? We don't want to say the wrong things. And, and if we read the Psalms, we will find how to respond when we're angry, when we're depressed, when we're discouraged, when life has crushed us down. There are Psalms that speak to all of those things. And they teach us how, uh, how to think about life in those times and how to relate to God 
in those moments. And that's why I think so many people pray through the Psalms. Because I'll tell you, wherever you're at, you're feeling something right now. You're either high or you're low, you're happy, you're sad, you're discouraged, you're depressed. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever emotion that you have, there's a psalm that speaks to that and expresses that emotion and that feeling to God. And so I want to be able to hopefully teach you how to connect to the psalms in that way. So we're going to just take this first psalm, and this really is one of those those wisdom psalms. It's more of an instruction, uh, but this psalm is the first psalm for a reason. This psalm talks about the way of the righteous and, and the way of the wicked. It kind of lays two psalms, two ways out for us. And I think that's intentional because the book of Psalms throughout is going to be talking about the, the righteous and the wicked over and over again. And it's, it's going to be laid out and expressed and talk about these things. And it's as if this first psalm is an introduction to the rest of the book. It's a, it's a signpost. As we come to this fork in the road, there's a sign here that says, this is the way of the wicked and this is the way of the righteous. And by illustration and by conveying those two different ways and their ends to us, the psalmist is pointing us, hey, go on the path of the righteous. That is what is going on here. We're going to see three things this morning from this psalm. First of all, we see the direction of the righteous. We're going to focus on the way of the righteous. He talks about the wicked as well. Uh, But the point of all of it is to point us to the way of righteousness. And the first thing that we see in verse one and two, verses one and two, is the direction of of the righteous. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so it sets out for us the direction, the way of righteousness. It does this by way of a negative, right? He says, this is the way of the righteous. This is the way of blessing. The the righteous do not do these things. And then he tells us what they, what they do. They don't do this, but they do this. The first thing we, we see in the negative is a picture of someone who is influenced and identified with the world. So the, the person who is blessed by God, the person who is righteous, is a person who is not influenced and identified with the world. There's a separation And Christians here this morning, you ought to be separated from the world. You should not be influenced by or identified with the world. There ought to be this separation. The first thing that we see is the counsel that he received. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked has to do, David says, uh, a commentator says this, the counsel of the wicked has to do with a way of thinking, with forming plans, with a mindset and an outlook. Another person said it this way, his worldview His ethical life, his moral decisions are no longer dictated by the godless. So the righteous person is a person who's not influenced. He doesn't get his cues from the world. He doesn't base his his ethical views on what the world says. Uh, He he doesn't watch the news and, and is swayed by whatever is popular, whatever's going on at the moment. He's a man who's influenced by the word of God. He doesn't walk according to the counsel of the wicked we've got to be careful then as people who who desire to be righteous as people who want to walk with the lord we have got to be careful that we don't let the wicked that we do not let the world influence our minds the the great difficulty is this in in this is right that, that we're in the world all the time 
We work with people. We watch TV. We go to ball games. And the world is all around us. And their counsel is all around us. And, and it's influencing, influencing us and swaying us in the direction of the world. And so we've got to, we've got to see that and, and recognize that and not allow that to happen. Sometimes, and, and I grew up with uh, sort of what sometimes would maybe be referred to as fundamentalists. These are Christians that took a very strict line on how you relate to the world. So I grew up around people, uh, not all of them, but some of them that believed that going to the movies was wrong and that listening to rock and roll music was, was just absolutely wrong. And, and I, I think there's some things that could be said in criticism to that kind of view uh, because we're not called to just completely separate out of the world. But at the same time, I'd rather be in that position than where so many evangelicals are today, simply consuming media, consuming culture, and letting it sway them, letting it, letting it shape and form the way that they think without any thought. They just go through the world and they listen and they watch and they, they hear what's going on and to them they just kind of fit the mold of the world. But the righteous person, the psalmist says, is not that way. He, he's not one who just fits in the mold of the world. He's countercultural. He lives differently. This is uh, what we're called to as sort of some practical considerations, at, I think, of the implications of this passage and thinking about this is, is just parents, what are you doing to combat the counsel of the wicked in your child's life? They're, they're in a school where they're hearing the counsel of the wicked. Not all of it, right? They're, they're good, they're, there's bad, but, but certainly some of what is influencing them in the school system with their friends is the counsel of the wicked. What are you doing to combat that? What are you doing to, to, to push them in the way of the righteous? So, sometimes I'm, I'm amazed at parents who simply think that, well, I, took, I take my kids to church once a week or maybe twice a week, and that's going to combat the hours and hours of TV that they watch and the music that they listen to and what they hear in school and what their friends are telling them. And, and I'm just going to go to church. And it's going to be kind of like a magic wand and wipe all that away. We need to be engaging with our children and showing them the path of righteousness and not allowing them as much as it lies within us to be influenced by the counsel of the wicked. How about you personally, as you think about this? The, the righteous person is a person who does not walk according to the counsel of the wicked. What influences the way that you think, Christian? How do you make major life decisions? Where do you get your sense of right and wrong, of justice? What is morally good? For you, for you millennials, when you're on Facebook in an argument and you're trying to make a point, what is it, what well do you draw from to say, I think this is right, or I think that is, is wrong? What, what is it that you're basing that on? For the righteous person, we're going to see it's the Word of God, but for so many Christians, it's simply what they've grown up with. It's the world around them that's influenced, and they've come to this point, and they just fit into the mold of the world, but the righteous person is not that way. Unfortunately, too many Christians are just simply receiving the counsel of the world, the counsel of the wicked, and, and they don't even realize it. The second thing that we see here is that he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. This is the direction that he goes. The commentator says that the way of sinners suggests their behavior, their actions, and their pra practices. So this goes beyond just 
in the mind and what influences our thinking and our worldview to actually identifying with their actions. This means that the righteous person is a person who lives differently. Not only does he think differently, the first thing, but he walks differently. His, his direction is a different direction. He's a person who lives counterculturally. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to get used to it. I don't care what culture, what time, what place in the world, you're not going to quite fit in. Haven't we just seen that in the book of 1 Peter over and over again? You're exiles in this world. And that's the same thing that the psalmist is saying. For the righteous person, his path, his direction, his way is a different way. So the direction he goes is different. This is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to live in the world and to, to live in a way that's sort of out of step with the culture, with the practices, with the views of the day, to act differently. No, we're, we're not going to do that. No we, no, we don't believe that. I'm sorry. And you try to do it with grace and you try to do it kindly and, and, and winsomely. But at the same time, you've got to take a stand and say, no, that's wrong. No, no, I cannot do that. It's, it's difficult to live in a way that is out of step with the world. It's, it's much easier to just go in the way of sinners. This is what Jesus has called us to. And this is what Jared was reading earlier, I believe. Uh, from the words of Jesus as he spoke about the, the broad path that leads to destruction. You see, the way of just going along in the counsel of the world and the way of sinners is a broad path. It's an easy path. It's, it's the path of least resistance. It's what comes naturally to you. It's what you're being spoon-fed in, in the media that you consume and in the world around you. It just, it just goes with the flow. Whatever's, whatever's in that day, whatever's popular at the moment, you just go with it. But the righteous person doesn't do that. He's on the narrow path, the difficult path that leads to life. And that's what we're called to. The, the third thing that we see, not only the direction he goes, the counsel he receives, but the company he keeps. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. To sit implies that you have fellowship. The seat of scoffers implies a kind of belonging where one settles most comfortably. A scoffer is a person that's not only opposed to God, not, not only living and, and receiving the counsel, but, but the scoffer is, is a person that has now come to the point of, of mocking what is good. Not only is he, he's not just content with living how he wants to live his life, but now he wants to turn back and say, can you believe the foolish people that think this is wrong? Not only does he want to live out his all of his sexual uh, proclivities, but now he wants to say, wait a minute, don't, don't condemn me. Who, who are you, you bigots, to say that what I want to do is wrong? It's the scoffer. It's the person who's not just content to do wrong, but wants to push back against those who would condemn it. And what he's saying is the righteous person doesn't sit with them. The righteous person is not comfortable in that setting. The righteous person does not have fellowship in that person. So the righteous person is someone who is not at home or comfortable with people who scorn and mock the truth. Listen, the Bible warns us about the kind of company 
we keep. And I, you know, so many times as we talk to the youth, I was just talking to them this morning. We talked about Jonathan and the kinds of friends that we ought to have and, and have people that in, encourage us and strengthen our hand in the Lord. And we talk to youth about that all the time and, and peer pressure. And I think sometimes adults forget that, right? You, you should not have people who are close to you, who are, who you take into your counsel and, and they do life with you, your, your lifelong companions who are pushing you in the direction away from the Lord. It's just as true for you as it is for young people. Peer pressure doesn't end when you get out of high school, right? The Bible warns us, Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And so we are to be careful who we keep company with. The righteous person does not is not at home with the wicked. James 4, 4 says, Do you not realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. I think we can notice a few things about these, these three descriptions of the way that the righteous are not. First of all, I think we see a progression. We see a progression. Uh, no one professing to be a Christian, no one trying to walk with the Lord just wakes up one day and finds himself being a scoffer, finds himself opposed to God's truth and saying, that's ridiculous. You, you don't just flip overnight. There, there's a progression that is going on in this psalm. Do you notice that? It goes from a person who's simply receiving counsel from the wicked to a person who is now in the way of the wicked acting out this, this counsel, and now we, we have a person who is at home, sitting and comfortable with scoffers who are rejecting God and, and even scorning truth. It's a progression. It goes from being like them to being one of them. It goes from heeding their counsel to hating righteousness. It goes from being influenced by them to being settled with them against God. One person said this, he said, while these three clauses may simply be viewed as variations of the same theme, they may also form a mini exposition of progressing depravity. Heeding the wisdom of the ungodly leads to identification with sinners, which results in being settled and established in the authority of their judgments. And the warning is not to start down the downward spiral, to avoid the counsel of the wicked. But notice not only the progression, but it sort of happens imperceptibly. That just simply means it happens without giving a whole lot of thought to it. You've probably all heard uh, the illustration of the frog before, right? Or maybe you've done this, maybe if you were a mean kid, right? Uh, frogs are, are cold-blooded animals, and so their body temperature just adjusts to whatever the temperature is around them. So if you put them in a pot of water and it's room temperature, they'll be, they'll be fine there. And then you Turn the burner on. I did not do this, okay? Uh, but you turn the burner on. Uh, very low heat. It starts to warm up. And slowly their body temperature just gets accustomed to that. And then you turn it up a little higher. And it, it, it just keeps going. And you can keep going. And finally, the water will get to a boiling point And it will kill the frog. And, and they've just been adjusting to it all along. And then there's death. Right? And that's the way that we are in the world. That's this progression. We begin to listen to the world. 
We stop listening to the word. We stop being people of the word and we start being people of the world. We start listening and we start being influenced by the counsel and by the peer pressure of the world. And the next thing you know, we're standing in the way of the sinners. We're beginning to act this out. And finally, we're seated with them in opposition against God. We've become scorners. And it happens without even recognition, without even really Noticing, But then notice the, the totality, not only the progression and the imperceptibility, but the totality of it. It, it takes you to the end. This is the, where the path leads and make no mistake about it. You think, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to listen to the counsel of the wicked in this instant and I'm going to take this step. And you think, well, I'll just go this far and I'll stop. And then I'll go this far and they'll stop. But listen, make no mistake about it. As we talked before, Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom it may devour. He's not going to be satisfied until you're to this place where you're seated with the scoffers. That's his end goal for you. If you begin taking steps in that direction, that's where it's headed. So the person who is righteous, does not do these things. Well, what does he do? Uh, what is the positive side? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the righteous person shuns the influence and the counsel of the world and instead, instead turns to the word. So again, where do, what influences you? How do you make decisions? How do you view mor- morality? Is it what the world is saying or is it what the word is saying? This this idea of law just means instruction. It's It's a vague reference or a general reference, I think, to the word of God. The righteous person is a person who is influenced first and foremost by the word of God. How do we stay on this path of righteousness? We we yield to the word of God in our lives. The Bible is our guide. But notice not only. Uh, is it our guide? But, but notice what he says here. It's, it's our delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. For, for the righteous person, obeying the word of God is not drudgery. As, as some Christians tend to act. Well, I guess we've got to do this. I guess, I guess I, I really want to do this over here. But, you know, God's word says this. And, man, I guess I've, I've got to do this. Now, there's a time where your emotions and your thoughts are not where they need to be and you just need to obey the word of God. But for the righteous person, the general tenor of his life is that there ought to be a joy in doing what is right and in fa- in following the law of God. There's a delight. And, and in the end, here's the truth about it, I think. In the end, if you don't delight in God's word, you're not going to, you're not going to follow it very long. Very soon you'll find yourself going after the world. For the Christian, what God does is give us a heart that delights in His Word and wants to obey it. So He delights. For Him, obedience is not drudgery. The psalmist says this in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do Your will. Second, not only does He get joy from simply hearing it, but this speaks to the fact that He actually does the Word of God. His delight is in obeying God's Word. He's not a... It's simply a, a hearer of the word of God, but a doer. And all of that is fueled by his meditation on the word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. This, this word meditate has the idea of sort of repeating it over to yourself. It's kind of like when somebody tells you something important. And, and I've got the memory, uh, a memory span about that long. Somebody tells me something and it's gone, right? 
or you hear a phone number and you're trying to repeat it for you. So, 4915, yeah, yeah, okay, I got it. Or somebody's giving you directions, you're repeating it. That, that's kind of what this word meditate means. The righteous person is a, is a person who is rehearsing God's word over and over to himself. It's a person who's, whose mind is not saturated by the world and the counsel of the wicked, but his mind is saturated with the word. You know, so many people don't obey the word of God. And I think sometimes the problem is that they simply don't know what it says. There's there's vast ignorance among evangelical Christians about what God even expects of us. And the problem, the, the root source of it is that we're not in the word as we ought to be. We need to be in the word day, day in and day out. Many Christians do not obey because they haven't taken time to consider what he says. So do you have a daily time in the word? Are you memorizing Scripture? Are you reading Scripture? Or do you go week in and week out, from Sunday to Sunday, not ever opening the Bible? Listen, if, if that's the case, then I'll tell you this, just, just truthfully, you're following the counsel of the world. You're following the counsel of the world because you are in the world hours and hours and hours, and you come in and get one hour, 30, 40 minutes of, of instruction in the Word of God, what do you think is going to shape you? What do you think you're going to live by? I think we all need to be in the Word of God. And then we see the description of the righteous. Not only the direction of the righteous, but the description of the righteous. Uh, the, he, he says here uh, in verse 4, or verse 3 rather, he's like a tree planted by streams that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all he does. He prospers. I think we notice a couple things here about the result of this kind of living. If you live according to God's word and you meditate on it and it's your joy, it's your delight to obey the word of God. I think we see a couple things here. We see fruitfulness. You will bear fruit. This means that if you're in your life, you, you yield to those things that God deems good and beneficial, you will produce fruit. Namely, I think he's talking about righteousness. And here's the reality for us. Does anybody here remember their great, great, great grandma or grandpa? No. The, the truth of what the Bible says about this life is that it's vanity. It's like grasping after the wind. It's, it's not there, right? You go to get, there's, no, there's nothing there. You can't grasp the wind. That's the analogy that, uh, that is used sometimes of the way this life is. There's futility in this life. But for the righteous person, who meditates on God's Word and who delights in obeying God's Word, there's a fruitfulness. There, there are actions of righteousness that are produced that, that will stand the test of time. And throughout eternity, it will be remembered the acts of obedience that we've carried out as we meditated and obeyed God's Word. But for the person who is wicked, he's like the chaff that the wind drives away. And listen, if, if, if you don't live for the Lord, everything that you do it's just going to be forgotten on the history in, in the history of this, this world. It's just going to be swept away. I mean, it's just gone. There's nothing to it. Only those things that we do for Christ will be remembered. There, there's fruit that is produced. There's a fruitfulness for the righteous person. One, one person wrote a, a poem about this very truth. Uh, he says this, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ 
will last. And I think that's what he's saying here. Only the things that we produce as we, as we live out faithfulness to Christ uh, will be remembered. There's a fruit, but not only that, there's a, there's a vitality here. It, he produces fruit in its season, neither does its leaf wither. Now, this psalm is written in a, in a Middle Eastern climate, right? A desert kind of climate. And, and, and what he's saying here, you notice he, he says that this, this tree is like a tree that's planted by streams of water. This is not just some random tree. The, the righteous person has been planted. There's, there's intentionality. He's, he's planted, and where he's planted is next to streams of living water. And then this stream that is talked about here is actually a word that, that can be in reference to sort of irrigation channels. So you imagine a, a Middle Eastern climate is dry, it's arid, it's, it's a desert. Stuff ain't going to grow, right? It's, it's not going to grow unless you channel water to it, unless you put it in the right place. And that's what he's saying. The righteous person is like that. He bears fruit. And because he's next to streams of water, there's an irrigation channel next to him. And he's got roots that sink down into that rich soil. Because of that, he, he will not, his, his leaf will not wither. There's a strength that, that God's people have. There's a strength and a vitality that the righteous person has. You know, he's not in a different climate. What this is not saying is that for the righteous person, life is always good and there, there's, there's never any problems. No, that tree is in the desert like all the other trees, like everything else that's trying and attempting to grow. He's experiencing the same, uh, the same arid climate, the, the, the same drought is coming on that tree as other trees, but he's got roots in something that gives him vitality and life. And so it is with the, the Christian. The Christian goes through, it doesn't mean that there's no problems. The Christian goes through all the same trials of life, all the same difficulties, the, the cancer, the sickness, losing your job. All of those things come on the righteous person, but there's stability and there's vitality for the righteous person because he's got roots in the word of God and God upholds him and keeps him strong. And then we notice the destiny of the righteous because of this. He says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We see the destiny of the righteous. There's a confidence that is spoken of here. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, the Lord knows everything, right? He knows the way of the wicked and he knows the way of the righteous. He knows all things. But that word know means more than simply to know and, and have knowledge of. It's a, it's a covenantal word. It's a, it's a care. It's a love that he has for his people. He loves the righteous person. And so when it comes to judgment time, uh, the person who has planted his roots deep in the word of God and who has lived out this righteousness is a person that's going to have confidence on the day of judgment. The, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away and, and therefore they will not stand in the judgment. But for the righteous person, he will stand because the Lord knows his way. The Lord loves him. What this, I think, is saying for the righteous person is, is a person that delights in God's word. And because he delights in God's word, God delights in him. If you delight yourself in the word of God, God will delight himself in you. And that should give you complete confidence as you stand on the day 
of judgment and you stand before the Lord, what a great thing to know that He loves me. He knows my way. He knows the path that I've taken, that I've shunned the path of the wicked and that I've, I've meditated on His Word and sought to live out God's commands. And because of that, He knows me. He loves me. And it gives us great confidence. Well, as we kind of wrap this up this morning, I, want us, I said one of the things I want us to do is kind of look to Christ in all of these psalms and, and see how can we think about Christ. Jesus said, did he not, that the Old Testament was written about him. That's what he told the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but they are they which speak about me. And, and as the apostles and Jesus uh, applied the scripture, they applied it to Christ. So how do we find Christ? I've got a couple what I would call Christ connections here uh, to point us forward to Christ. First of all, the first Christ connection is that as we think about this passage, probably most of us, if you're like me, feel like we have fallen drastically short of this picture. Does anyone here want to raise their hand and say, I've been the righteous person? I'll just say, not over your lifetime, just over this past week. I've been the righteous person who always delights in the Word of God and I meditate day and night on what God has commanded me and I feel so confident about my obedience that I know that when I stand before Him, everything's going to be good based on what I've done. I'm the righteous person. I, I doubt there's anybody here uh, that would raise their hand and say that. And I would say that myself. I, I, I fall drastically short. And, and if we read this psalm and we just simply say, okay, here's the takeaway from Brother Andrew's sermon today. I've got to be the righteous person. I've got to be the one who meditates day and night and delights in always doing what God wants me to do. That will crush your soul. You might feel good for about a minute and then you're going to recognize, wait a minute, this is not looking good. But what we see in this psalm, I think, is that the righteous person that is described is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one who always obeyed the word of God. He delighted in the will of the Father and he was always obedient. He meditated on God's word and it, it issued forth in a, a joyful obedience. Paul says he obeyed the Father. He obeyed uh, the commands of, of the Father even unto death. His obedience was a perfect obedience. Paul tells us that Jesus did what, what the law weakened by our sinful flesh could not do. See, because when we read this, we say, that's a great idea. I should meditate on God's word and, and I should delight to always obey him. Yes, that's what I want to do. And, and we read the law and we read what God requires of us. And we say, yes, as Christians, we want to be obedient to those things. But what we find is that our flesh is weak. And so we find ourselves, wait a minute, I fell short again. But Christ did what the law, weakened by our sinful flesh, could not do. He was the righteous one. So what you need to look to this morning, as we read this and we sort of apply this psalm, you need to look to Christ. The Bible tells us that, that when we believe in Jesus Christ, by virtue of our faith and our trust in Him, that God then treats us as Christ. He treats us as if we're righteous. We're not righteous. We're, we're not good enough. We all fall short in so many ways. But when we believe and when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, He treats us as if we're completely righteous, as if this psalm was written about us, as if we've always delighted to do everything that God wants us to do and we meditated on God's Word day and night. 
He treats us in that way, even though that is a far, a far call, fall from where we are. The second Christ connection here this morning is that when we believe in Christ and God begins to treat us that way, uh, he doesn't just leave us where we're at. Instead, he spend, sends the spirit of Jesus Christ into our hearts. In other words, he begins to transform us from within. He makes us and begins to transform us into this righteous person. So he treats us as if we are already righteous, but then he begins to actually make us righteous. The spirit of Jesus Christ, who delighted in God's word and always was obedient, lives within us and now lives out that righteousness in our lives. So the the truth should be for us that we're trusting in Jesus Christ. But if you're a Christian here, you should also be changed over time you should more and more begin to resemble what is spoken of here in psalm 1 you should 10 years from now should be this should be more of a description of where you are than you than it was 10 years in the past and so he begins to change us paul speaks of this in colossians 1 27 when he says to them god chose to make known how great among the gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says in Romans 8, 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And notice what he says after this. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He sent the Spirit within us. And as we yield to Him, the righteous requirement of the law begins to be fulfilled in us as we practice righteousness, enabled by the Spirit of Christ within us. So where are you this morning? Are you a person who has faith in Jesus Christ? Are you one who is trusting in Christ and and who's recognized that you fall drastically short of God's requirement for your life? If not, I would encourage you to do that this morning. Fall on Christ. Fall on your knees and cry out to God knowing that Christ is your only hope as the righteous one. And if you're a Christian, I would encourage you to come back to that faith. Come back to that assurance that you have that you've been forgiven and that you are counted as righteous in Jesus Christ. But then I would encourage you to pursue this righteousness. Be this person who meditates on the law of God. Be the person who delights in Christ and in the word of God, who's not influenced by the world, but is influenced by the word. Pray with me this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are so grateful.